Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. We're going to flip the script a little bit on this one. I've been a guest on a bunch of other podcasts lately and have had some great conversations that I thought would be fun to share here. So welcome to the repost. Today's repost is my interview with Digital Entertainment World's webinar series, Let's Do Lunch. I talked to David Bloom, who's a great journalist and senior contributor at Forbes, about the future of entertainment. We discussed everything from Fortnite's battle with Apple, the growth of esports, gaming during the pandemic, and what a movie theater is going to look like in 2022. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, let me bring on David Bloom. David is a senior contributor at Forbes and TubeFilter, and he's no stranger to the show. David, welcome. Good to be back. I'm feeling like uh, one of the homeboys. This is, I think, number 10 with you guys. Uh, it's got it's got to be up there. I I, yeah. I would say you probably hit di- di- double digits. Yeah. I've got my double ace, as <laughs> I like to say, in World War I. So. so who's on the show today? Uh well, the the, uh, the uh, guru of game marketing, Chris Erb of Triple Clicks, and we will talk a little bit about a whole lot of stuff. Trip, uh, Chris has become uh, all of a sudden today. He is uh, everywhere in the media, not just here on uh, our beloved uh, midday respite and conversation, but in Ad Age today and a big deal. Uh, Chris, can you join us? Turn on your right. camera. Turn on your right. audio. Have a great show, There he is. Poof. happening? Fantastic. All right. A a quick reminder to everybody, uh, love to get the uh, chat room up and rolling. Use that as a place to put your LinkedIn profile. Tell a little bit about what you're doing, what you're looking for. This is our chance to connect uh, in this virtual universe that we're now living in. So take advantage of it uh, and make sure that you send it out to everybody, not just to Chris and I, uh, though we certainly want to see those connections and conversations. And please put your questions in Q&A. I am not one of those gifted Twitch uh, moderators who can both play a high-end game like the ones that Chris um, helps market uh, and also carry on 37 conversations at once. My little brain does not have that many pathways in it. So help me out. Help uh, help a brother out uh, with uh, the Q&A. Uh, and let's get started. So Chris, how did you get in at age and how did you get your kids in? Uh, funny. Yeah. Funny story, I, the Fortnite Apple controversy kind of popped off and they reached out for a comment. So when when the video went live, I, I was at home and my kids actually came up to me and was like, what what's what happened in 1984? And I'm like, why are you asking me that question? And they were like, come watch this video. And they showed me the Fortnite video. And I was like, oh, Google 1984 and Apple. And it's and I so I kind of explained where they were. And they were like, why are Apple? Why is Apple being the bad guy? And so it's just such a funny shift from where they were in 1984 to where they are today. Uh, yes, I, yeah, they're almost about a two trillion dollar company now, but it is also uh, probably a lot easier to talk about the 1984 ad and Aldous Huxley and uh, George Orwell and all those fellows because Brave New World is out as a show on streaming now uh, than it is talking about birds and the bees with your teen kid, your teen kids. So, <laughs> so kind of a win for dad. My kids are always talking about Fortnite anyway, so it was nice to be able to talk about marketing instead of what skin they want. You know, what I mean? right, right, how much you need to pay for it exactly. Uh, I speak. Fortnite. I've got Travis Scott here on the background uh, in honor of 
some of uh, what he is doing in the music side of marketing. Uh, I thought it was a really a tremendous, thoughtful campaign that had uh, skins, that had these sort of backdrops for Zoom, that yeah. had uh, and had five concerts across, uh, I guess, three territories for Fortnite, uh, showing some of the international reach of both Travis Scott and Fortnite itself. Um, let's talk about Fortnite, since this is one of the big conversations, I think, right now. Uh, my column for Two Filter this week was about both the Fortnite fight and TikTok and how the old people had ruined things for teenagers <laughs> this summer was bad enough with remote schooling, can't see your friends, and you got to spend too much time with your parents. And then they start screwing with TikTok and Fortnite. This is what's left in my life, right? Yeah. Um, for you as a marketer, I'm sort of curious, what, what do you think about the fight? uh with apple and google but particularly with apple and where do you think it's going yeah it's, it's interesting i think mean, i think fortnite does a really good job of saying hey we're not just a game we're more of a platform right i think the travis scott speaks really well to the idea of like hey tune in not just to play but to kind of be engaged from a cultural perspective and i think it's a great platform for artists to come in and obviously that you know there's obviously a revenue play for for fortnite to build off of that so it's it's amazing to see what they're building. Obviously, you know what they what they make a month. What do they make? Three hundred, four hundred million dollars a month. And so I feel like on the mobile platform, they're you know they've always kind of been um, worried about the thirty percent that they share on that platform. Obviously, when you go to the Epic Store, I think you know when they sell other people's content, I think there's like a twelve percent. I think ballpark kind of a, what they're charging. So obviously there's, you know, the 30% on Apple, I assume was built back with the pay-per-views back in the day and the music industry and stuff. And I think yeah. we've seen a lot of content come out and, and, and I feel like that's maybe a, an older rate of revenue now for some of these companies. I think Fortnite's trying to, big enough to be able to push against that. Yeah, they're absolutely big enough, as you say. They're not only are they big by themselves, they've got several big investors, including Disney and uh, certainly Tencent. Um, the gigantic Chinese company. So they've got uh, some resources available. And as you say, they're generating uh, nine figures uh, a month in revenue for a free game, um, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, but it, it also, I mean, as you're right, it's a kind of a vestigial arrangement in some ways what Apple does, um, but it's been in a big push for making more money off of services and all that. We won't dive into that. That's a whole nother conversation for a different column. So uh, you also had an announcement today because you are indeed omnipresent um, about a, a deal with uh, uh, Pharrell's little little company. So talk about that. Uh, yeah, today, uh, Billionaire Boys Club announced a collaboration with Call of Duty League. So it's uh, playoffs and finals for Call of Duty League now. And so bringing uh, Billionaire Boys Club is going to put out a collaboration next week uh, to celebrate the finals around uh, the Call of Duty League's final. So good collaboration. I mean, obviously, the people that, that, that play Call of Duty and, and in that franchise, if you just look at the history of the franchise, I think there's life to date. I think about 25 billion hours of Call of Duty has been played. I think that's the equivalent of like 2.8 billion years, which is longer than human existence. So obviously, people engage with that game. Obviously, the Activision's building out of esports is really smart. And so how do we help kind of bring cultural moments into that? And I think, you know, Billionaire Boys Club is one of the premium lifestyle brands in the world. And so being able to bring 
the lifestyle side to the the cultural relevance uh, of Call of Duty together for the finals is really fun. So excited to announce it today. Uh, it'll drop on the 28th on Billionaire Boys Club's uh, website. So some fun kind of overlap. I mean, the people that are playing games are also collecting shoes and they're also listening to music. And the, the cultural overlap that we see in the communities is, is strong. And so doing lifestyle collaborations, which you're seeing a lot of the Nike partnership with with Xbox and, and, and Undefeated has partnered with Gears of War and Halo in the past. So that cultural overlap makes a lot of sense. And so this is just a smart play for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would have to say, though, that you can't be excited about a Pharrell deal. You have to be happy about a Pharrell deal. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. So, bad jokes uh, early in this thing. I like Oh, it. well, you know, if we don't have bad jokes, you know, I'm a dad. I got I got responsibilities here. I'm just saying. And so do you. So, yeah, no, I get called uh, out all the time. Let's keep it up. So uh, this is an interesting notion because I think that we are seeing a dawning. I've, I've uh, done some writing about some other companies like Subnation that are getting into this space, trying to understand and, and connect brands and um, uh, gamers and esports teams. I, we've mentioned in the little pre-show that I just interviewed Lee Trink over at FaZe Clan. Some of those esports teams are so much more than that. They've got their hands in apparel and they're doing all kinds of drops and, and partnerships and they've got content creators and now they've got music partners and people like that. I guess FaZe has got Offset and Lil Yachty, but other companies have relationships or building relationships beyond just a couple of teams of kids that are you know, playing uh, COD or they're playing, you know, Counter-Strike or whatever. Um, so this is really taken off, what, in the last two years, I would say? Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, I think the acceleration has been strong. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, when I was running the Madden franchise for EA 10 years ago, we were doing kind of bus tournaments and esports programming and those kind of things. But yeah, I think the elevation of it has been the last kind of three or four years and now you know what face clan and and i'm friends with lee and i love lee and i think what he's building out and doing with that with that brand is amazing so it just speaks to the cultural relevance of that stuff i mean i think when when you look at gaming 10 15 years ago the only way to really make revenue in the gaming space was to make video games and sell video right. games and so i think the esports platform has created many on ramps for other people to try and kind of seek revenue within the space and so you'll see a lot of kind of esports teams and tournaments and leagues kind of building out because I think everybody comes with, you know, as gaming excels, I mean, this is, I think it's a $152 billion industry. I think if you take movies and music and combine them and double them, that's about the size of the gaming industry. So this is the space where, you know, where brands want to be and where consumers already are. And so, you know, you'll see a lot of kind of those esports and, and partners kind of trying to get on the on-ramp to, to the space. Yeah, I don't want this to get sort of lost. As you said, if you combine all of music globally and all of movies globally, that's about $80 billion. Then you double that, you get to the $159 billion is the number I saw, I think, from, gosh, I want to say it, it was, it was um, New Zoo, but it could have been a couple of others, There's those numbers, but you're right, between $150 and $160 If you take the things that most people think of as entertainment and combine them and double them, you get to the ballpark of the game business. And and that's, um, I think, not something that people in Hollywood 
completely have their heads around. I mean, they've got to get their heads around a lot of stuff right now. So it's a it's a complicated time. Yeah, the Hollywood was kind of ignoring gaming for a while, but I, you know now the ball the, their eyes are on a different ball right now as we're trying to figure out theaters and, and the cultural impact of COVID. I think when when we look at gaming, I think the key thing I think to think about is 99% of Gen Z plays video games, like 95% of millennials play video games. So no longer do you ask, do you play video games? The conversation is more of what game are you playing? Like asking if you game is the equivalent of like, do you watch movies? Do you breathe? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's an odd question, right? So that's been, that's been changing. Obviously, you know, I, I think I've, I've seen the stats that Gen Z controls about 40% of, of spending now. Right. So that audience is the way to be. So, you know, I have a lot of brands that come up to us and say, should we be in gaming? And I'm like, only if you're going after Gen Z or millennials, like if, if you're going after that audience, finding a, a unique way to have a conversation with them around gaming is a really important um, on-ramp for your business and, and the best way to kind of connect with that audience. Now, I, I did want to circle back to one thing about that Fortnite Apple fight, because um, it, Fortnite has done an epic has done a very good job, I think, of painting Apple. As you say, they've come a long way since that original 1984 ad. Uh, they're the darks, the Death Star in some ways now, though they still have, I think, a gigantic well of good, uh, uh, good reputation in so many areas. But this does uh, have the potential to kind of chew into their their fine reputation, I would think. Uh, at least with the 350 million Fortnite users out there. I mean, what's your take on what this might mean for uh, at the goodwill that Apple has built up over the years and, and how this plays out in terms of uh, – and, and it's, it's, it's on the Google side too. Let's not forget Google's over there too. But, yeah. uh, um, but what do you think it means? Yeah, I mean, it just depends on how public we make the conversations. I mean, I think there should be some back-end conversations on how to solve the business side of that. I mean, I think if you kind of if you kind of throw some some punches at Fortnite, they're going to come back. They're very creative and they're very fast, and so they're going to you know, and they've got the loudest audience. I mean, they didn't really you know when that 1984 commercial came out, and I think that was a Redley Scott directed piece, and he dropped it. To it Super was Bowl, and it was a moment, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You, they 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 talked to 300 million people yesterday for free by dropping it on their game. Right. right? And, and whereas just, that Ridley Scott thing cost what five million to make back in nineteen eighty three. I saw Rid- Ridley giving quotes yesterday about like how come we didn't talk about that we didn't have the visual effects that we have today. And I'm like, I'm not sure right. what that has to do with the spot. But the idea is you spend a lot of money right. and you have, you know, we're still talking about it. 30 years later, well-spent money, but the idea that Fortnite can go and drop that to 300 million people uh, for free instantly, and they can continue to bang that drum as many times as they want, and my kids don't really understand the, the business side of what's going on, and so, great, free Fortnite, and that's an easy thing to get them behind and get them to rally behind, so right. um, it, it's a it's a youthful, they, they have a broad audience, they, ha- they have a lot of older players, uh, but they have a very youthful audience as well, and so they're going to be able to kind of stoke that fire and get that conversation going. What that means to, I mean, Apple makes great products. We we all love the products they make. You know, we love what Tim Cook does. Um, the business side is kind of something that those guys have to figure out. So, uh, you know, if I if I was trying to kind of calm the the fears, I you know, I would definitely kind of not have the conversation in the media and, and with <laughs> with nine to fifteen right. year olds. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely look. Epic definitely said we're we've got a structured plan and campaign that we're using to to force a public conversation about this. I mean, they may have been able to build that thing very quickly, but that was built 
and the lawsuit was was made before they did the thing to offer the bargain on their own site and lead to the predictable shutdowns, to lead to the lawsuit, to lead to the bah, 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 bah. that was all structured weeks, months ago. Yeah, well, um, we're all structured because you know they fix glitches in the game. If there's a glitch, they turn it off and fix it quite fast. But they can't they can't make a video that fast. That was definitely a plan no. of attack. So uh, well done. Yeah, it was, it was well done. I mean, it's, it's it's an interesting tactic to 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 pick that fight here in the middle of an election year, and I would add two two weeks after Tim Cook and the other uh, Fang leaders were in front of Congress talking about things like monopolistic practices uh, in the App Store. So and and, uh, and a week or two before the new season launches too. Yes. So right. I mean, there's a lot. You know, a lot. Like, it's a really smart people at Epic, and they're really well timed, uh, well timed statements. And uh, I'm right. sure that we'll have uh, cars were just turned on, so my kids can drive cars in there, and we're planning for the next season. Oh right, right. It's like you could do driving, you're racing, right? I mean, yeah, that was so another like, thing. There, there's definitely like, hey, we have this window for this beat. This can be our, you know, I, I'm the business thing is very serious for them, but I think kind of making it public in, in the right time uh, is, is well as well. Right. It, it feels a little bit like CBS used to get into carriage fights with uh you know cable operators in in like august yeah. and then about a minute and a half before the first nfl game uh debuted boom there was a deal <laughs> yeah. it was all taken care of right uh, yeah like shockingly we need to fight with the post office before november 4th right let's, right. Get, let's right. get that fight in there so everything's well timed with everybody and so you know there's always kind of an agenda and, and something you're trying to push through on, on both sides of that so it's uh yeah it's just something to kind of keep an eye on as we uh, as we get closer you know speaking of uh, big franchises that are doing interesting stuff grand theft auto is still rocking i i've been seeing a lot of ads for their stuff including their racing function and all the other things that they have going on and it's really interesting that a franchise that's i think 7 years old now has been able to continue the Grand Theft Auto Online has been able to continue at a really high level and can keep growing, keep expanding, kind of under the radar in some ways, I think. But it's huge, right? I mean, how does yeah. that? Do you do things with them at all? I mean, how do they? How do they do what they do? Uh, yeah, I think it speaks to kind of an industry kind of shift. Games as a service is kind of where we've we, we're playing out. So you're, you're going to see fewer titles ship, but you're going to see more content and more play for that stuff. I mean, I think you look at a game like one of the best games ever made is Minecraft, and and how relevant that is, and it plays on multi platforms, and it plays everywhere, and it's kind of always engaging, and and so it's it's more of like not launching a new game. It's more of adding content to the play. They'll do like Minecraft Dungeons, which just launched, which is amazing, is a different kind of spin on it, but the base game is there and you continue to add to it. So I feel like Grand Theft Auto is kind of that platform, that baseline, like the Fortnite before they were around. It's just, here's the platform and how do we add to it and make the experience better? And so that's more of a shift in the industry about games as a service. I think we see it having worked at EA Sports, like, you know, annualizing kind of Madden was really important. How do we kind of get people to re-up their subscription, which right. is a different model 10 years ago where I'm trying to get you to reinvest $60 every year. It became an annuity, right? I mean, that's yeah. really what it did. I yeah. Mean. And so how do you, uh, you know, the shift was how do I get kids to reinvest $60 every August? Now it's kind of like, how do we, you know, Fortnite's going to do it $10 every season and it's, and it's phased out and you're looking at Call of Duty, it's got Warzone coming out and they've got seasons. And so it's more of the service shift. And so I think uh, Grand Theft Auto is obviously ahead of that and they've built a great platform around that. And you, you see it with um, Red Dead Redemption, what they're going to what they're going to do with that and, and bring that stuff out. So it's the amount of upfront capital they invest in these games is really big. And so how do you kind of make that stay longer and let kids feel like, 
you go to a movie with two of your friends, if you're allowed to go to movies, if you get to go to a movie, you spend $15, $20 at the movie, you're going to buy popcorn, you're going to spend $30 or $40, you're going to spend $60 on a video game, and you're going to spend 400, 500 hours playing it. So the investment in gaming is so much better than it ever has been. Um, and I think you look at Fortnite, which is a free to play game and you're like, I'm going to download it and just play for free. And then you're going to start buying a, buying a harvesting tool or a skin or a meme. And then it just, it just starts to roll after that. Yeah. That really does shift the economics, as you say, because it used to be not that different from the film business, you know, get your opening weekend, you know, get, do your pre-sales and all that at, through the, the game stores and all that. And now it's like, no, we have, uh, we get it. We have a good weekend to open, but we're really looking at the long term here and new content. And you know, we're not just getting the gold. We're going to be constantly updating it. We're not. It's not ship it and forget it. It's it's, it's yeah. an ongoing relationship. And that. So so from a marketing standpoint, yeah. How does that shift the way you do what you do in terms of the marketing deals that you do and how they come up around a Call of Duty or how they come up around uh, a Fortnite or a Minecraft. How does that evolve? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think when we, we work with a lot of brands, um, Kellogg's and Mondelez and the, and the brands out there, and I think one of the things is, you know, they're looking for fresh IP. And so the, the tough thing for the movie industry is you've got like a three-week window, maybe two weeks before launch, the movie launches. And if it's a really good movie during the summer, you might get an extra week, but it's a really compressed window. Yeah, uh, Overwatch will do a program with Kellogg's two years after the game will launch. Like the game is still relevant. The content is still relevant. What we do for our company is what, what we work with brands to help put – value on packaging so when you when you used to see a movie on on a bag of chips or on, on a on a soda um there would just be the a billboard for the film and and that would be it gaming is definitely a lean forward kind of experience and not a lean back experience right. and so how do we actually put some content on the packaging instead of just using kind of a monster energy drink or a chips ahoy package for a, as a marketing billboard how do we actually give value through those packages so Instead of buying a $3 kind of microtransaction item in a game, what if you got that for free for buying a brand or a product that you already love? So instead of spending $3 on kind of a Chips Ahoy package, you actually spend that money, but you also get a piece of digital content that's compelling. So when you start to look for brands and it's like, okay, you don't have this small window like the film industry does. You have this really, this really big window. 99% of millennials play games. How do we take value? add it to your packaging and now you're starting to build a relationship with gamers so we talk a lot about marketing to gamers versus building relationships with gamers and so i think kind of that dynamic and shift of kind of having brands build these relationships so no one says why is you know why is halo on monster energy drink they're more of like hey monster does a program every year what's next from monster or what's next from doritos and so as we can start to build these these programs for these brands and and make you know them almost endemic to the gaming space, which I think is really what, what they're going to help break through. So like no one's surprised when Cheez-Its or Pringles have a, has a program that's, that's happening with, with kind of a video game. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. I'm wearing a shirt that I got years ago when I worked at USC's Marshall School of Business as a, an associate dean uh, today or this week. I think USC and UCLA, are, our kids are back, definitely the USC kids are back in school, as are all the Los Angeles Unified School District kids. Um, curious about your thoughts of um, what the pandemic's meant for the gaming business and for marketing to audiences and how that may evolve as people go back to whatever, whether it's in person or remote. How is that shifting some of the, the conversations and the places you find your audiences? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think the pandemic has hit everybody in obviously different ways. Um, people are spending a ton of more time at home. I think the interesting thing about gaming is, is like most of the people that are in that are in gaming and the growth we see in gaming during the pandemic isn't new people. It's people that have more free time, right? Um, we're losing an hour, an hour and a half commute each way. We're not standing at the water coolers. We don't have these work lunches. I think you're home a lot more. And so you're going to want to do things that you're kind of engaged with. So I'm, I'm sure the Netflix numbers are up, the Disney Plus numbers are up, but the gaming numbers are, are up a lot, right? I think if you go to a Best Buy um, or if you go to Amazon, like the cameras for streaming or the microphones are sold out, like more people are streaming, more people are engaging. They're finding like, while I'm at home, what, what can I do? You can play, you can watch, you can stream. So, you know, I, I think what's been going on in gaming is just kind of, reinvigorating people's passions for gaming obviously my kids are going to get to play fortnite more um, because we're not on a road trip or we're not going somewhere we can't go to disney we can't do those things so you know there's so many books and piano lessons and stuff and then it kind of falls back to you know the more time to do the things that they want to do um and so i think the gaming industry is well positioned you know technically to be able to let these kind of you know, I, my friends, my kids' friends can't come sit on the couch with them, but they can still connect through Fortnite, right? Fortnite is their Zoom. Um, so we're connecting through Zoom where I'm having business meetings all day and then I go home and my kids are doing the same thing. They're talking to their friends from the playground, only they're doing it in, in Fortnite, right? So it, it's been a it's been a platform, gaming's been this platform that, that has let people reconnect during, um, during the pandemic. Um, and so I think the growth is kind of organic about just more free time um, spent on the things that you love. While I'm at it, I want to remind everybody, please throw some questions. We've got a couple there, and I'll work those in now. But anybody else who has a question, also please put your LinkedIn connection up there and uh, connect with each other and uh, talk business and do all that stuff. Uh, there's some nice conversation about Matthew Ball, one of the smart uh, media guys who wrote about uh, Epic and Fortnite and, and, and much else. I really like the stuff that he writes, and it's influenced some of the things that I think about the industry. But uh, if you have any questions, to start with, uh, Mark Rashba, I hope I've not butchered that, asks, why do you think that esports did not take off the way you would have expected during COVID-19 when there was a dearth of live sports? I think it did pretty well, but what's your take yeah. on, just let's start with esports in general, then more particularly how it's done during this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think esports is a young kind of um, a young piece of the space. I mean, I think we talked about a lot of $2.7 billion um, or 2.7 billion gamers in the world. And, and so the gaming side is, you know, a lot bigger than the esports side. So we're starting to see growth the last couple of years. I think we'll see a lot more of that as as we build out. So I think they had a lot of success. We saw a lot of NBA 2K and Madden on ESPN. And we saw a lot of the racing know, games, the racing yeah. Took off, right? People FIFA. missing sports. I think there's I think there's probably two ways to look at it. Are you watching gaming on TV, like older people, like replacing sports on TV? Or is it really Twitch and YouTube where everybody is, right? And so I think Twitch and YouTube are seeing kind of huge numbers on watching kind of people play video games, which is what, you know, our conversations with brand is like, why would I watch someone play a video game? I'm like, you've got a basketball hoop outside. Why are you watching the NBA? Right. It's, it's just, it's a natural kind of connection for people to figure out. And so the current generations kind of understand like, Hey, I'm going to go watch people play video games. And I think there's two sides of it. There's the esports side, and then there's just streamers. And the esports side is probably 10% of the eyeballs that are watching people play video games. The other side is the shrouds and the ninjas. Um, they're just kind of compelling and interesting and watching them play kind of 
harkens back to like my kid will watch people play Fortnite as he plays Fortnite. Um, and so like, it's just kind of that that multi-screen thing that we've always talked about. It's happening in gaming, right? Like he's got a load time, so he's going to watch somebody else. And as soon as he's back up, he's going to ignore that and just play his thing. And so back and forth. So I think the numbers have grown. I I think it's been a, a strong play. The gaming industry itself has, has seen huge strides, um, during the pandemic, but I, I think kind of the number of people streaming and the people watching kind of the Twitches and YouTubes of the world has kind of grown significantly. You know, it's an interesting point because you, you mentioned in passing the, you know, how many folks were watching video game players on TV as opposed to the places that they frequently watch them, which are Twitch and Facebook gaming and Google gaming and the late mixer and things like that. And, and other places, uh, I talked with his friend and he, he was, uh, he was saying, hey, you hear that G4 is coming back. And I kind of was like, you know, and they're going to make it a game, uh, uh, basic cable channel again. You know, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> Who's going to watch that? I mean, what do you think about that? It just feels like something you do in uh, basic cable channel, trying to figure out how they survive for another two years before the cable package collapses completely. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, listen, I'm a giant G4 fan because I'm older and I used to watch it all the time. And, you sure. know, I'm friends with Jeff Keighley. Nostalgia, and, right? Yeah, and he does those things. But I, I think, you know, TV isn't where kind of the young kids are. Like, I, if I told my kids to turn on CBS, they'd be like, all right, which one's CBS? And, like, I, I don't know how to get you there. Like, yeah, right. yeah, hey, show me what Preston Plays did yesterday. And he'd be like, sure. And he'd go to YouTube and he'd pull up Preston's game. Like, he watched it. Like, they, they navigate the worlds that they want to navigate in. So G4 will be an interesting play. I wonder if it'll turn into a, the late night, like the Jimmy Kimmel's and have a ton of success with the videos that, that are on TV, but the, the streaming aspects and the pieces they play there. Um, I hope that G4 is positioning kind of, all right, how are we taking clips off the broadcast and kind of bring that onto the other channels and kind of share it on digitally and, and through social and those kind of things. So it's interesting. I, I just think the ESPN is in need of content to replace sports NBA 2K and Madden and FIFA feel like kind of, okay, that makes sense. It's easy to watch. So I think it's a smart play for that. But I think kind of the the real eyeballs are on the Twitches and YouTubes of the world of where people are watching kind of that content. Absolutely. I You know, that's an interesting. If they could actually think outside the box enough, literally the PV box, enough for a G4 that interacts more fully into the online space in some fashion that, that gives people a place to engage and you know, co-watch while they're doing their other things. Maybe they got a shot for a while, right? Yeah, and I, I haven't talked to them. I don't know what the strategy is, but I'd love to be able to watch it in Fortnite, right? Or how do I watch it kind of on a on a multi-screen kind of thing or what's the engagement or how like what's that daily kind of connect? It's really about kind of connecting and being, you're always going to be the second screen because the game is going to be the first screen. And so how are you building platforms that are um, advantageous and kind of finding unique ways to kind of connect with these kids as they're also gaming? That that there's an opportunity there. I don't know if they're thinking in the way to take advantage of that, but there's definitely an opportunity. That's an interesting way to think about it, um, about how that plays out. Uh, Mark Patterson, the uh, noted rogue and uh, man about town, uh, says a great discussion today. Thank you. It's uh, always good to have a fantastic guest, and I try to stay out of the way. How do you see esports teams balancing user slash gamer generated content? Versus using an agency to establish their brand identity going forward. So, uh, I mean, obviously you run an agency, so you think it's a really great thing to do. Um, but I'm just sort of curious about how they generate, because like they all have big, big wads of creators in their ranks, right? 
Yeah, it really kind of depends. I mean, we don't kind of dabble too much in esports. Our job is to kind of help at retail. So we bring brands in and how do I sell more product at retail and how do I kind of get more people excited about video games? And we connect with influencers and, and, and those guys to kind of amplify the message that we have. From their side of the fence, I think it's it's interesting. I think, you, you know, you look at what 100 Thieves does and they're trying to build a lifestyle brand. And when you look at FaZe Clan does, they're trying to build content and, and entertainment and build around that. And then you've got Optic, who's like, we're going to win Call of Duty League or we're going to, you know. So there's there's different kind of goals that each of these esports teams or streamers kind of have planned. And so I think it's really kind of understanding what the business objective is and what's the long what's the long-term play? I mean, sports is really about clothing, right? Like I'm a Yankees fan. I remember love Mickey Mantle, love Don Mattingly, love Derek Jeter. I love whoever's next, right? So it's about that franchise. So can, these, can these esports teams build brands that can repopulate with new people as, you know, as you, when you turn, when you get really old, like 17 or 18 and you start to lose your Twitch skills. Nearly um, dead. Yeah. How do you, how do you kind of repopulate this with new people? And so, but how do you stay relevant? I think Nate Shot does a great job with hundred thieves and, and bringing kind of content streamers and lifestyle and and playing that stuff out. So it depends on kind of what the goals of the esports teams are, whether it's going to be competitive, whether it's going to be content creative, or whether it's going to be a lifestyle play. And then I think you build out from there. You know, we got a question from anonymous attendee, which is just perfect because they want to know how you create relationships with millennials slash Gen Z versus marketing to them. Well, the first thing is they they got to know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's right. I mean, part of it is you got to have a, connection in some fashion. I, I do think it's a good question though because i think building relationships is unique so like if you're going to sponsor an esports tournament you're buying advertising and you're saying hey my product is great buy my product versus taking gaming content and putting it on a package and, and and connecting with the consumer that way how are you kind of giving content to consumers to make them feel like i'm not being marketed to i'm getting hooked up here so that's really kind of the genesis of of a question like that is really about like, hey, I don't want to just market to you. I want to kind of give you content. I want to connect to you. How do I give you access? Taco Bell does a great job with the Xbox program that we work on where it's like you can go to Taco Bell and you can win uh, win an Xbox. So last year we did a program where we give an Xbox away every 10 minutes, um, 24 hours a day. So if you go to Taco Bell at noon and you text your code and you're going to lose, but if you save your code and you text at 3 a.m., you're going to have a way better chance of winning. Taco Bell's giving their consumers access. Pro tip, by the way, kids. So pro tip, you know, stay up late. There's some upsides here, right? I, I listen, it's game, gamify these experiences. But what Taco Bell is doing is they're giving access. They're giving exclusive content to their fans. They're kind of building that relationship. They're not just marketing to them. And so those are the kind of ways that we, we kind of take, take gaming content and original access and kind of plug that into products to give people kind of a better roadmap of, of connecting. Okay. Um, I think it's Jaime Lara, but it could be Jamie Lara. I suspect it's Jaime, given that Lara sounds like a, a Latino name. Um, I've heard a lot about the esports, but a lot of esports questions here. And let's remember, folks, that's a billion dollars out of $159 billion. It's, a, it's the Ferrari business. It is the shiny monkey. Like when I talk to a lot of brands and, the, and I say, hey, what's your gaming strategy? They're like Twitch. And I'm like, that's, that's the gaming strategy. So if I launched a product and I, and I said, what's my marketing strategy and i said espn you'd think i was crazy so you've got to build a gaming strategy and then go to twitch to tell the story so esports seems to be kind of the 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 brand the way people think to, to connect with gaming yeah i mean jaime's bigger question and i think it's an interesting one we had a lot of a lot of um eager but not necessarily educated money jump into the esports space in the last two years um that wasn't 
it's sort of hard to see that it would be able to return that investment in the short term. Um, and, you know, they, they refer to the esports bubble, which um, probably probably exists. But um, what's your take on the esports bubble? Is this thing going to I mean, I, I feel like long term is going to it's going to work out. But yeah. people who jumped in and know what they were doing might have might have been out over their skis a bit. Yeah, I, if if we refer to it as a bottle, bubble, I would think it was an investment bubble. Uh, more than anything i mean i, I think c competitive gaming and connecting people to play together like that that that's going to last for a long time i think we're in the infancy i think there's ten thousand different ways to invest in esports is the problem whether you're buying jerseys whether you're sponsoring talent whether you're sponsoring teams whether you're sponsoring leagues so there's a lot of different ways in i think activision has done a great job with overwatch league and call of duty and and kind of bringing a professional kind of tie to it and, and building that out and so i, I think you know, watching how that grows is the thing. So I, I think the investment bubble is going to be a tough one, but I think it's, it's you know, it's a space that's going to grow significantly and, and, and we just need to kind of kind of nurture it and kind of let it grow uh, organically and authentically so, so people can kind of understand it. It's people chasing kind of uh, money within gaming makes sense, but, uh, you know, there's, there's probably different ways to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think that some expectation leveling would be a great idea and perhaps... What's going on now will help some of that, but um, you know, we'll see. Uh, Judy Havas, uh, that's, a, that's a name out of the, the, the dark uh, past, long ago of uh, the game business, Havas Interactive. I don't know if she's connected in any way. Uh, says, what does the growth of video game play imply for existing companies that loom large in the industry, EA, Activision, versus new entrepreneurial companies or potential partnership ventures? That's an interesting way because it feels to me in some ways the game business, because it's online, because it's um, always been about these little studios that then tie up with a big publisher, sure. um, they, they can be a little more light on their feet. There's an opportunity for them to come up with a cool game and find an audience and do stuff, right? Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I look at Xbox and, and Nintendo and, and Sony as kind of the platform to play. And I think if, I, if you ask me kind of, uh, an example of someone that's had success with that. I, I couldn't look past Cuphead, which is one of my favorite right. games, right? Yeah. It's a yeah. real small great game. Yeah, it's a real small group of people in Canada who built like an like that game is literally hand-drawn animated cells, original score. Like the game is spectacular. Real small, real small studio. Um, but they, you know, they partner with the big people and kind of help amplify kind of what that brand is. And so I think if you have a great game idea and you're a real small studio, Ori is, a, is another great example of two or three people who built that game over Skype um, and in different countries. And so like that game is the, one of the most beautiful games you could ever see. And so you can take these indie, indie games and, and kind of make them these kind of mainstream darlings um, you're going to need the help of like the Xboxes of the world to kind of amplify that stuff. So when I look at the EAs and the Activisions and the Microsofts of the world, I, I think those are kind of going to have the big, the big dogs, but I think the smaller studios can find their way and partner with these brands to kind of really help build the new games like that. Yeah, I see. Uh, it's interesting because speaking, we've talked a lot about Apple. They're sort of hard to ignore given their presence in the larger game business. You know, uh, hardcore PC people look down their nose at, at Apple and Macs and all that, but on the mobile side, they rule, right? And um, they have Arcade, which is, I think, a really interesting service for five bucks a month. And a lot of those really artisanal game makers and studios have done some really nice work over there. I don't know how it's doing. 
but there's a place there for some really interesting creative minds to do cool stuff. I think that's the interesting the interesting thing about the gaming space is it's not that competitive. Like everybody wants to see the space grow and succeed. And so, you know, it's everybody's like, there isn't any, Hey, like why, like that's not the right game to play. It's like, Hey, everybody should try everything. And it's kind of an open kind of field for that. What will be interesting is, is see what Xbox and, and X cloud and, and, and gaming and be able to play your Xbox kind of anywhere you go. What, what the impact is on the mobile market um, in the future. And so I think there's some, some interesting plays there, but yeah, I, I think kind of being able to play on my couch or play anywhere I want is, is, is kind of the big opportunity for the space. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Jeffrey Stansfield, who I also know who's a, uh, a, a, he's a supplier of video uh, hardware. So he's, you got to watch him. He's kind of a video pusher. Uh, but Jeffrey asked a question. It's kind of actually backward looking about what Microsoft did wrong with the Xbox launch seven years ago. And I think what's more interesting um, is looking forward, what do they need to do right as they match up against Sony's uh, PS5 with their Xbox Series X, I guess. It's um, kind of a confusing naming thing to me. Uh, and with the other options that are out there, the platforms that are out there, what do they need to do right to do well in this next generation since you're key there? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably a little bit too close to it to answer it too publicly. I mean, I, listen, it's putting the gamer first is really the most important thing and, and developing the right experiences. And I, I think that's gonna what's gonna win this generation. It's less about fidelity and more about experience. And I, I think, you know, Xbox has got a really smart team that works on that stuff. And I'm, I'm sure what's coming uh, this holiday will, will deliver strongly, but it's really kind of about well, how do you make the experience stronger for the consumers? Because I mean, I think kind of bringing people into gaming isn't the goal anymore. Now it's just making the making the the experience better and kind of giving people choice and and, and freedom. And so it'll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this holiday. I saw a really thoughtful piece uh, probably a couple of weeks ago now that that talked about um, some of the difference between the the PlayStation approach, which is very much about rolling out exclusive hits, which is kind of an old, well-established model in the console space and and more the, the gaming as a service sensibility that Microsoft is bringing, not just to the Xbox, but partly to the Xbox, the next Xbox, with the way they're merging their gaming services and all that, and what they're doing in PC and the crossover between the two platforms. So it becomes an opportunity for, and as you say, connecting with the consumer over and ongoing basis and having that relationship and playing that game in lots of places, not just only on this box, only in this moment with, you know, the big weekend. Um, yeah. Does that make sense to you? Is that, is that on target? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, for the gaming industry to, to kind of grow and continue to excel, it's about the best experiences and in, in wherever consumers want to have it. And I think that's part of what we do is, is work with brands to kind of help elevate that messaging and, and, and bring awareness to it as we work with brands like Kellogg's and Mondelez and Taco Bell and, and, and bring kind of the, the, hopefully bring the energy and excitement of a, of a console launch um, into the space. And then we'll, um, we'll, you know, adding games to the services and, and all those ways that people are going to connect, I think is really important. Chris Ramanathan asks, uh, what market, this is kind of a nice little question, but it's sort of pain in the rear asking the professional, what would you do if you were a bootstrapped little company uh, with zero marketing budget and uh, uh, to, to bootstrap uh, and raise awareness for their, their game um, without the um, 
magnificent blessings of your advice or that of some of your competitors? Yeah, I mean, now, today, it's probably 10,000 times easier than it was 10 or 15 years ago, right? I mean, I think social media, um, you know, is is there and it's the roadmap to kind of connecting to the world. So, you know, depending on what the game or what the business is, it's really about kind of share your journey, document your journey, kind of share the content, um, get on LinkedIn, talk to other professionals that can kind of... Um, evangelize your program, show your, your beauty on Instagram, do the right things on the right platform to connect with it. I think kind of organically growing, respond to every single comment that you get, like every kind of comment. It's, it's really kind of just grinding. And the, these platforms were never there. Like you used to have to buy TV or newspapers or radio, um, even 10, 15 years ago. And now you've got, you, you can have everybody's attention in the world. And I think Fortnite proved that with, with the drop of the radio spot like, or their TV spot is like, you know, you can kind of connect with people. So if I was a young entrepreneur kind of building something out, I think social media is your play. And how do you kind of build programs and, and build everything around those platforms and, and, and just bang on it and kind of relationship building and, and kind of that old, you know, we used to have to do resumes. I'm old. We used to have to go to the Rotary Club to meet local people. Like there's stuff that you had to do that you don't have to do anymore. And you can right. sit on the couch and, and spend eight to 10 to 12 hours grinding on social media and just kind of building that stuff and daily content, behind the scene journals, just, just everything you can to kind of get that, get your word of mouth out there and just build your presence um, in the world. Tom Edwards asked, and I think this is a nice little question, uh, your favorite publisher brand collaboration that you've done or seen? I mean, actually the one that you've done that you, that you like the most and maybe another good one that you saw out there that you'd love to take, take credit for. Um, the best one, probably, you know, just there, you know, all the stuff we've done are my yeah, baby. Right. Choose your children. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, uh, right now the BBC call of duty one that we just announced today, the excitement around that we did, I brought some, I brought props. We did an Xbox. Uh, yeah, I need some of those sent to me size 12. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so perfect. Xbox kind of collaborations that we did with Nike is always a fun one. I think, uh, I just got stuff here. Cause I didn't know if you're going to ask me questions, but ships ahoy kind of um, content. This is the kind of fun stuff that like people would never see like a, an M-rated kind of game where I'm going to shoot you with my shotgun and then chop your head off, like content on packaging. So I think those are the kind of things that kind of really get us excited when you go to a grocery store and you see five or six or 10 different kind of programs across the grocery store. Like when a movie launches, you used to see only movies on packaging and now you get to see only gaming because of the things that we're doing. So and that's there's the no movies. Of, so other yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're winning on that front. I think the thing that we didn't do that I would love to do is like yesterday Supreme um, dropped their fall catalog and they're building a Supreme uh, Mortal Kombat cabinet that will drop this fall. Um, so I work with Warner Brothers and I know the people that worked on that. So I'm super excited for them. So like that's just a great energy play about bringing like that Supreme audience together with the Mortal Kombat kind of gaming piece. So I think that's a really fun one that's coming. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, I always like to ask this when I talk to really smart people um, on the record um, these days, and it is, where do you see the entertainment business? And that's not just games, but games is a key part of that. But uh, you know, what's happening, as you mentioned, in the movie business, what's happening in the transformation to streaming from TV and basic cable. Where do you see the movie business in a year and a half? To, it's like early 2022. Are we enough out of this that we're able to get to something that's quote normal, but yeah, different, new? What do you? What do, what do things look like? Depends if we have a vaccine or not. Like so, like let's play in the world of like we can actually go out, go to movies and kind of get back out there. 
um, I, you know, everybody's kind of down on the movie business. I think it's like, you're never going to cons- convince a 17 year old not to go out with his girl to a movie like that movie everybody's kind of saying home video digital streaming people are going to want to go social people want to go outside like the movie business is always going to be great are we going to have fewer theater chains probably very similar to malls right we're having less and less malls but the, the malls that we do have the experience is better it's bigger it's shinier it's you know it's about experiences as, as well as anything and so i think we'll see something similar from from the movie industry it'll be kind of the the theaters will will get bigger and the ticket price may go up but i think the experience will be kind of different um so i think the 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 avengers and the star wars and the disney films will will be bigger than ever in theaters and i think the smaller films may go directly to digital and and they may have huge success on on that platform so you you'll see kind of the separation of a digital movie versus a theatrical tentpole moment i think we'll probably see more tentpoles and fewer movies that aren't ten poles make a big splash in theaters but i i think that a theater going experience um is really important like listen i'm dying to go back to a theater like i'd love to see uh, i'd love to see tenant um in a theater and have that 360 degree kind of experience with with other people around i think would be great if they offered me tenant tomorrow for 29 dollars, i would buy in a heartbeat like it's you know it, it depends on what they're going to offer me but i would really like to get out and see theaters and i think everyone's going to have that right. Yeah. Do you see the theaters being uh, places more and more for esports and virtual reality experiences too? That they they transform some of those screens into more of a, a esports arena. Even the local boys, local kids, uh, yeah. esports thing, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that stuff. I mean, listen, if Ninja said I'm going to be at this theater and you can only watch me stream for two hours at a, uh, at a you know through a Ben Ben Fathom Entertainment or something like that, yeah, 100. percent They're going to drive a lot of people out to those things. Oh, yeah. Um, so it depends on how the way they want to take content and build those kind of experiences around it. I think it takes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think you need to compete in theaters because you can kind of like, you know, kids want a 27 inch monitor right in front of them. So they don't have to move their eyes. And so they can stay very competitive. They don't want this giant thing to play on. Right. Um, but they do want that giant thing to watch people play on. And so depending on how they want to build out that content, I think there's a lot of opportunities for them. Okay. Well, with that, we will wrap this up with many thanks. You can reach me at David Bloom on Twitter and at David L. Bloom on LinkedIn. Where can they find you, Chris? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Chris Erb, E-R-B, or at Triple Clicks. I want to thank David Bloom, Ed Sherman, and everyone at Digital Media Wire for having me. For more information on the Let's Do Lunch webinar series and an archive of their previous episodes, go to doexpo.com, D-E-W-E-X-P-O.com.